Hello and welcome. You're listening to the It's All in the Cards podcast, a horror fiction podcast where all questions are welcome, but you may not like the answers. Some material may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. I take a steadying breath as I lay the clothesline flat against the glass of the front door. I knew Sam would one day ask the questions I can no longer avoid. It came faster than I expected, but we seem to have reached it. What do you want to know? Um, how about what the hell was that? The devil is sending you messages through random strangers and you act like it's some scorned lover who won't stop sending you flowers? What's going on with you? I have done a lot of things I'm not proud of, Sam. But one that I am proud of was the day I left the devil's service. Her face drops, as if she had expected the worst and I had surpassed it. I had heard you were into Satanism when you were younger, but I guess I didn't think about how real it was. Why would you work for the devil? Because I was young and hurting, and he offered me the opportunity to take my pain out on other people. I jumped at the chance. I see something click in her mind as I speak, and she takes in a quick breath. Clearly some connection has been made, and I wonder what Ross tells her when I'm not around. Why do you look like this means something to you? Has someone talked to you about me? Sam shakes her head but a red flush blooms on her cheeks and trails down her neck. No, nothing like that guy! I would have come to you right away if some creepy black-eyed kid had come up to me with some kind of message! That isn't where I was going, but I'm glad she's not being pursued by the devil too. Maybe he doesn't know about her, or, more likely, he doesn't consider her to be important enough to notice. But you've heard something, tell me. Sam bites her lip for a second, but my honesty seems to have provoked some honesty out of her as well. I... I did a spell. A spell? A truth spell. Aunt Roz showed it to me from her Book of Shadows. I thought maybe it could help me with customers, you know? Get to the truth of what they're after a little faster, be able to help them a little quicker. So I came to the store and I saw these people. People? What kind of people? Not real people. They looked like ghosts, all wispy and clear, and they were all around you, moving with you through the store as you worked. I, I even saw one get more solid as I saw him scare you. Paul. I remember that day. I had been moving inventory around, and the bastard popped up in front of me so fast that I dropped my box. I nod at Sam, trying to take a calming breath. I can't be mad at her for trying to do more spells and learning something she shouldn't have. How many times did she ask me to help her, and I refused? I should have known that Roz would guide her to however she could. Yeah, he was one of the people I hurt while in the devil's service. Sam looks thoughtful for a moment. Is there something else about them that I should know? Like what? Do you want to know what I did to them? No, never. I mean, is there something in the basement? My breath catches in my throat. So, her truth spell could see the ties to the two-faced man as well. Roz must have done some alterations, made it more powerful. It certainly wasn't capable of that when we did it as teens. Well, in for a penny, in for a pound. Yes, there's something in the basement. Something that's trying to get me to return to the devil. And he's failing, as evidenced by his containment beneath our feet. But what is it, he? A demon, a higher level one, doing the bidding of the devil. Do you remember the entity that came with me the night of the nomination? Goddess, that seems so long ago now, but Sam's eyes go wide with the memory of it. That's what you have in the basement? I thought you killed him months ago! That's what I wanted the coven to believe, but I needed something from him. What could you possibly need from a demon like that? I need him out of that body. A slow smile crosses Sam's face. You're trying to help the possessed man. No, I'm not. You kept a demon alive so you could help a person. 
You actually care about helping people. I knew it. If you don't stop, I'm going to send him to your house. No, you're not, because you care about people and I'm a person. You wouldn't put me in danger if you could help it. If it would benefit me, I would put you in danger in a heartbeat. But it doesn't benefit me to lose my only employee, so do not ever go down there and do not talk to anyone about this. I'm serious, Sam. This is really dangerous, but I'm handling it. I'm putting a lot of trust in you by telling you all the truth. Sam makes a notion like she's sipping her lips, but the smile is still on her face. After a moment, she unzips them and asks another question. Does this have something to do with you scratching your side all the time? I resist the urge to lay my hand over the scarred tissue along my ribs. Even the mention of it has made the itching come back with a vengeance, a maddening feeling like bugs under my skin, burrowing their way to the surface. I press my elbow to the spot instead, trying to soothe the itch without scratching. The devil marked me when I agreed to his service, and when I made the bargain to get out of his service, the mark morphed into a seal. He thinks that I'll be greedy or desperate enough to break the seal and use the power again, but that would put me back in his service. He thinks I'm that weak, but it's been almost two decades and I haven't been tempted. Even though I left, he's made it clear that despite me not being in active service, he considers me to always be on reserve. Can I see it? No, absolutely not. Fine. Do you still do what he says? No. I no longer take orders from him. He just doesn't really respect that. So what do you do when the devil doesn't take no for an answer? Right now, I'm trying to discover the name of his minion in the basement so I can be in control of him. From there, we'll see if the devil still wants to dance with me or not. Episode 8, Inactive Hope. It's late in the afternoon before we get our first customer of the day. The jingling bells over the door startled me out of the books I'd been buried in, still searching for the two-faced man's real name. A man walks in, broad-shouldered like a gymnast, but shorter than myself. Before I could say anything, Sam pops up from behind the counter with her customer service smile plastered on. Welcome to Which Way Between the Lines? How can I see for you today? She shoots me a clear go-away look, but I ignore her and lean against the nearest bookshelf, crossing my arms over my chest as I watch. Yes, my name is Ezra. I was wondering if I could get a reading. Do I need an appointment? Not today. I can do your reading right now if you'd like. My name is Sam. She directs him to the front table, casting a glance backward at me. I nod for her to go ahead. I'll stay out of it until I need to fix a mistake. Ezra drops into the seat across from Sam and immediately starts talking. No teeth pulling from this guy. I did some research before I came down here, so I would know what to expect. You need a question, right? So you know how to read the cards the most accurately. Sam glances quickly over his shoulder at me, the shock barely concealed on her face. It's not that often that we get someone who volunteers all the info from the get-go. I hide my smirk and turn away, busying myself with organizing the spotless countertop. Yeah, that's right. What do you want to learn more about? Well, see, it's kind of a weird situation, so it's kind of a weird question. Why don't you explain it all to me? He shrugs, his wide shoulders lifting up and dropping back down sharply. I go to school full time. I'm getting my doctorate in environmental biology, so I don't have time for a regular job. When I have a free hour or two, I open my availability on the ride-sharing apps and drive some people around. It's a good way to keep from being lonely, at least. 
I can always have a couple good conversations with people. And you know, there's a time limit on the interaction. So it's okay if something doesn't go perfectly. Less stress. Is something happening on your drives, or do you want advice on your customers? Yes. I like to drive on Friday nights, because there's usually more business driving people home from the bars. But the last three Fridays, I've gotten the same exact request from the same guy. Pick up at this older bar and drop off at a residential area. Is this guy a creep or something? What's wrong with a consistent fare? That's the thing. It isn't consistent. It's been a different experience every time. The first time, I thought it was just a regular drunken drop-off. When I pulled up outside the bar, the older guy came up and asked if I was Ezra. I told him I was and verified that he was James, which was the name on the account. And that has to be his name in real life because you can only use your government name with your account. They're very strict about that. So what happened the first time James got into your car? It was normal at first. He seemed a little jittery. But I thought maybe he'd got coffee at the bar and was trying to sober up. People do that more than you think, but you really just end up with a caffeinated drunk, and then they throw up in your car. Ezra shakes his head, a faraway look in his eyes that makes me glad that I've never had to drive drunk people around for a living. I put the address in my phone and we drove off. He didn't say anything once he got in the car, so it was a quiet ride. I had just taken a group home after they had watched their team lose miserably at another bar, so I was kind of glad to have someone who didn't want to talk. We got about halfway to his destination when we stopped at a red light. I don't know how he did it exactly, but one second I saw him in the rearview mirror, and before the light turned green, the back seat was empty. Did he jump out of the car? Impossible. I keep the car locked when I'm driving, so we would have had to hit the unlock button. We were driving in total silence. There was no way I wouldn't have heard the click, let alone the door opening and closing. Sam makes a non-committal noise as she pulls out her deck of cards. It's clear she doesn't really see this as a supernatural problem so much as a social etiquette one, but she's humoring him. So he disappeared from the backseat the first time? What happened the other two times? The second time I saw the fare come up, I almost didn't take it. The guy was so quiet, though. I was kind of curious to see if he would do it again, you know? So I decided to experiment with him. I accepted the request and pulled up to the bar, but he never came out. Did you try going in? Maybe he didn't want to wait outside. I did. And do you know what happened? Sam bites a snarky retort and simply shakes her head, continuing to shuffle. Nothing. I couldn't even get into the place. It was closed down. Wait, what? Sam drops her deck of cards to the table, forgotten for the moment. I give up all the pretense of being busy and turn to flat out watch this reading. The story is getting interesting. It closed down a few weeks ago, apparently. The sign said they were doing renovations, but I drove past it in the daytime, and there were no construction people or anything. The place was empty. Could he have been at another business? Everything else around there closes by eight, and this was around midnight. I don't believe he was staying at the bank after hours to catch up on work. Sam ignores the bite in his comment and picks up her deck. And what happened the last time he asked for a ride? We got a little further, at least. I couldn't wait until Friday came around, because I knew he would ask for a ride again. I actually turned down some fares because it was getting close to twelve and I didn't want to lose the chance to see what happens. I was right around the corner when his request popped up, so I was there in record time. He was waiting for me at the corner in front of the closed-down bar, holding his coat closed instead of zipping it up. He asked if I was Ezra again, and we got going on the road. But this time, I asked him questions. 
I asked him where he was going, and he said home. He said his wife was worried about him. When I asked him why he was out drinking instead of home with his wife, he said he had bad news, and he was trying to put off telling her. Apparently, he lost his job and didn't tell her. He was hoping he could get another one before she realized that they were behind on the mortgage, but he was running out of time. He didn't want to hurt her, he said, but he was going to have to start being honest. Did he make it home this time? Almost. I got to the street he lived on before I realized he wasn't in the back seat anymore. And there's no way he could have tucked and rolled his way out of the car? Negative. He disappeared. Again. Huh. So do you want to know why he keeps disappearing? What? No, of course not. I know why he keeps disappearing. So why does he keep disappearing? Well, it's obvious, isn't it? He keeps losing his confidence in himself, and he's afraid of hurting his wife with the truth. He wusses out before he gets there, and then he pops back to wherever ghosts go when they stop pursuing their unfinished business. Okay. Gotta tell you, Ezra, most people don't immediately go to ghosts like this. There's usually a lot more convincing involved before people will believe that this is the cause of their issues. Once you have eliminated the impossible, whatever is left, no matter how improbable, must be the answer. If you really believe he's a ghost, then what question did you want to ask the cards? Ezra looks up at me casually, clearly not surprised that I've been listening all along. Not much gets by this one. I want to know why he keeps coming to me. What I can do to help him fulfill his business, because clearly just driving him isn't cutting it. And I'm not sure if I can manhandle a ghost into confessing to his widow. That's my question. I nod. He does seem to have already gotten to the heart of the problem himself. Now we just have to see if the cards will tell Sam what he has to do, and see if she can listen. So, let's give it a shot. She turns over the top card for the three of us to see. The Six of Pentacles. This card is all about generosity, helping people, and accepting help from others. This is the situation you're in. You help people for a living, and James is asking for your help to move on. Yes, exactly. What else? The second card in this spread is the Obstacle. This is what's stopping you from being able to finish this mission. Sam lays down the next card. The Two of Wands reversed. This is a fear of the unknown. Hesitation to act, trying to stay safe by stagnation. That's James. He's afraid of telling his wife the truth. He drinks to build up his courage and bails at the last minute. Are you going to tell me something I don't know soon? Hush. We can only tell you what the cards tell us. It's not our fault that you've already figured out the situation. I'm sorry. I just really want to know the answer. I hate unsolved problems. And this one has been haunting me for three weeks now. Literally. Not helpful. Flip the last card. The star. This is all about following hope, believing in yourself, that kind of thing. So, if I believe in myself, I'll figure it out? I think it's more than that. I think you are the star. You're literally guiding James home. He needs your hope to build himself up, raise his confidence until he's able to actually go home. How do I do that? I don't know him. But you've started to get to know him, right? You asked him questions about himself and were compassionate to his situation. I think you taking his story well helped him to believe his wife would, too. That's why he lasted the longest in your car at the time you talked to him. Ezra's head bobs slowly as Sam talks, taking in her explanation. So just pump him up and make sure he makes it home? What if he bails again? I don't think that will happen. He got so much farther the last time, and he clearly wants to finish this. He just needs someone to guide him there and let him know it will be okay. I tap the star for emphasis. Okay. 
Yeah, I think I can do that. And it's not like I can't keep trying if he gets scared again. I gesture towards the counter, encouraging him to follow me to pay for his reading. Exactly. He just needs a guiding light. I cash him out, and Ezra leaves with a little wave. Oh, I never would have thought that I would meet a scientist who believes in ghosts that easily. It's pretty easy when they've already experienced one. I pause, weighing my next words, but I decide to go for them. After our talk earlier, I'm feeling a little bit more generous towards Sam. You did well with the reading. Thanks, it wasn't a hard one. We knew most of it already. Yeah, but you gave the right advice. Was there wrong advice? There's always wrong advice. You could have told him to talk to the widow himself. If he comes back in a couple weeks because this didn't work, I'll make sure to tell him to do that. (laughs) He's not coming back. He's going to drive James home tonight and be done with it all. Until the next one. The next one? Oh yeah. That man is touched. He's going to draw the ghosts to him now. The consequences of wanting to help people. Shut up. The night wanes on and it gets near closing time. I start to wind everything down, but Sam's busy staring down the hallway. Jade, Jade, you gotta see this. She's squatting in front of the bookshelf just before the hallway to the back rooms, holding a stuffed bird and waving it like it's a trophy. What state fair game did you have to beat to get that little thing? What? No, not the bird, Jade. This cat will fetch. Here, here, Shazam. Sam wiggles the bird in front of her and then throws it down the hallway. A few seconds later, a Russian blue kitten that couldn't be a year old yet appears from behind the bookshelves and swoops in after the bird. He comes back, bird clenched between his fangs, and drops it about four feet away from Sam. Good job, Shazam. Next time you gotta bring it closer, though. Listen, just because we already had one shop cat doesn't mean you could bring in another, no matter how small it is. What are you talking about? This is the cat that I brought in weeks ago. We both turn to the abrupt noise of books falling off the shelves behind us. Persephone, the white cat I've let stay in my house and around the shop, is casually rubbing her body against the books, not a care in the world if they fall. No, that's the cat you brought in weeks ago. I've never seen that cat. Are you telling me two cats came in around the same time to the store? I'm telling you, I found Shazam in the woods and brought him here to be the shop cat. I didn't know a thing about that cat. Her name is Persephone, and she most certainly doesn't play fetch. I think. What woods did you find that cat in? Near Marine's house or further north? Up one of the trails on Aunt Roz's property behind her shop? Why? Hmm. Have you gotten the thing any shots yet? A feral woods cat may have more chances at diseases than a street cat. I'll take both of them to the vet right now if you foot the bill. Why would I pay for either cat? You brought that one here. And the other cat you've clearly taken a liking to, so if you want me to run the errand for you, then you'll pay for mine. I think you pay for yours and I'll pay for mine, and I won't kick your fetching kitten out of my shop. Go ahead, I'll just take him home. And have Maureen and Ross sneezing up a storm? You know they're allergic. That's why you brought it here to begin with. I brought it here to lighten up this dreary store. In case you haven't noticed, not as many customers have been coming in. Not even the regulars in the morning. Now that I know what we're really dealing with, I think the demon or the devil is to blame. Wow. Astute kid. You know I hadn't even thought about our customers. I've been dealing with the direct mental torture for weeks now. I don't think I've seen much past that. They're messing with your mind and messing with your business. Son of a bitch. You know, if you had just told Grandma and the Coven, I'm sure they would help you. Now, here's where I have to be careful. If I tell Sam that Marie knew the whole time, Sam will not be happy that her grandma has been lying not only to her, but to the Coven. As interim high priestess, it's her job to warn the Coven that the demon their betraying sisters worshipped is still on Earth. It can put Sam more firmly on my side, but I'm not sure that's the way I want to win her. But I've already told her the scary truth. What's one last nugget of it? Your grandma does know. 
she gave me until the vote to get it taken care of. Or she would out me to the rest of the coven. Out you? Like what you're doing is a bad thing? I'm sure plenty of them could spin it that way. If you wouldn't have hidden it from them, they wouldn't be able to. You know, you caused more trouble than if you had just asked for help in the first place. The coven had just splintered. You had just asked your aunt to step down and nominated me as high priestess. I wasn't about to ask the coven to do anything. She stares at me, and finally her body deflates with an exhale, and she nods. You're right. The coven was already in turmoil. I can see why you'd want to let them try to pick the pieces back up. Really? That's it? No more pushing and judging what I should or should not have done? I know. Weird, right? Guess we're both still maturing. Now let's head to tonight's lessons. Tonight's lesson isn't a true lesson. The neophytes don't know this. They arrive as usual, laughing and a little nervous about what they'll be learning. It isn't until the whole class is in attendance that the rest of the coven steps out of the woods. It's finally time to bring them into the fold, and I'm no closer to having Two-Face's name. I'm not willing to give up on Steven yet, but if I don't come up with something soon, Maureen's going to take away my chance at running this coven. Do I even want to run this coven? That has been the question the last few months. I tease Roz that I still want to burn it to the ground, but in the way she's teased back, it sounds like that's not a bad idea to her. She's encouraged me to get rid of the dissenters. Does she want a new path forward for the coven as well? Or does she just want the drama gone? I know what I want. It's the same thing I've wanted for almost two decades. I want justice. Before I wanted revenge, retribution, but now I see that justice is the clear path to peace. If I were to kill every coven member that was there that night that my mother died, it would be a short-lived victory. No. I need them to live. I need them to live to see what I have in store for them. The tricky part? Not just getting them to vote me in, but persuading them that they want what I want as well. I've decided to be my mother's child after all, at least in this. The young girls gasp and giggle in excitement as they realize that some, if not all of them, are being initiated tonight. I have a good idea who it will be, but I am not privy to the list. Sam's on it, that I do know. Maureen, as interim high priestess still, conducts the ceremony. Several coven members, including Rachel and Ross, stand ready with robes slung over their arms. Maureen calls the coven members one by one to start the rites of dedication. As each witch is called, they step forth to their assigned neophyte and help them dress in the robes. Then they stand behind the neophyte as witness to the young girl's readiness to join. I've always felt like the initiation ceremony is a bit too scripted. There must be a way to make it more unique for each pledge joining. Maybe that's something else I can work on once I'm high priestess. Damn, look at me actually thinking of ways to make the coven better. Sam, Hannah, Justice, and a few others are tapped for initiation until Rachel is the last one holding a set of robes. Maureen says her name to get her in motion and her eyes meet mine. Well, blow me down. It's finally my turn. Rachel approaches me from behind and drapes the robes over my shoulders. I finish wrapping and tying them and then wait for Maureen to continue. My mind goes quiet. The sounds, including Maureen's words and Rachel's answering words as my witness, slowly fade, even as the binding magic in the ritual slides over my skin. I think hard on what to say once the ritual is done. I want my will to be known. They may not vote tonight, and part of me wants them to not vote tonight so that Maureen doesn't spring my dark secret onto them, but I've made up my mind, and they deserve to know. Maureen finishes the rites of dedication, and as I am the last to be initiated, once my rites are complete, the coven applauds. Maureen expects me to go sit down so she can wrap up, but I lean in close to her. I have an announcement, 
and if you will permit me now, I would like to use the cane. She raises an eyebrow, but nods. She walks over to Roz's bag of goodies and pulls the cane out. Okay, here we go. Thank you, sisters, for welcoming me into the coven. I know that it was not a light decision for us to be initiated, particularly me, with the history I have with the sisters. But you made this decision. Now let me announce mine. I've thought long and hard about what the nomination of High Priestess means. Sam offered it in a time of great suffering and need for this coven. I know she loves her aunt dearly, and for Sam to dethrone her meant that she was doing what she thought was right for the coven. Some of us would not be so brave as to go against our family. I know many of you saw some of the power I had to offer that night. I know many of you came to fear me, or at least distrust me. I hold my hand out to Maureen and she hands me the cane. I charge it immediately, my energy slithering up the cane in green veins. I am here tonight to declare my intentions to be High Priestess. I want to show you that you can trust me to keep this coven going. I want to aid the next generation of witches on their path to exploring their powers, and I want to cement the bonds of this coven in a sisterhood not yet realized. The neophytes have been focusing on sharing energy to heal the last few weeks. I stand before you, offering, if you choose me to be your High Priestess, I will not only share my knowledge, but my power. I don't mean to lend. I don't mean only to heal. I mean I will share with you my magic as long as I am High Priestess, if you will have me. I finish using the cane and step close to Maureen to give it back to her. I still need more time. I'm not asking for a vote yet. I just want to finally make my decision known. Maureen eyes me suspiciously. She knows I haven't destroyed him yet. But she also knows I wouldn't dare declare my intentions if I was not ready to be rid of the demon before the vote. I would never expect her to go back on her word, and she wouldn't expect any less from me. It's a weird understanding we have, but we respect each other's lines in the sand. Or really, I respect her line in the sand, and she acknowledges she's got a wild animal in the corner who will do anything to get out. I hope for both our sakes I can get rid of this damn pest once and for all and begin my new journey as High Priestess. This episode of It's All in the Cards podcast was written by Ashley McAnally and Morgan Balco, featuring the voice talents of Ashley McAnally, Nicole Goodnight, and Davis Walden. Theme music produced by The Arsonist and performed by Veronica Stonebreaker. Want more episodes? Subscribe to our Patreon and get bonus episodes, early access, and a look at the Patreon-exclusive spin-off series, The Deck of the Eternals, available to Celtic Cross subscribers. Don't forget to check us out on Facebook or Instagram at It's All in the Cards Podcast or on Twitter at It's All in the Card. It's All in the Cards Podcast is not suitable for all listeners. Discretion is advised.